0: Hello, Dave. Hello, Olive. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to
1: Sustainable Eighty. Welcome yourself, me old cheery monkey to Sustainable 82. How are you doing? Oh, very, very well. Shall I tell you what's coming up this week? No, because first of all, I'm going to tell the listeners that we are your friendly little environment podcast all about people and the planet. And why even though everything is naused up doesn't mean we can't have a little bit of a chuckle about it every now and then. Now you may tell people what's coming up.
0: Now? Yes. Now? Yes. Okay. So... You know how, like, uh, Take That had a song that was called Never Forget? What, this one? That's the one? Yes. Well, I mean, elephants never forget, do they? Apparently. And and we're therefore going to be talking about elephants and, well, and tusks and ivory. Mm. Do you remember also, at about the same sort of time, there was a band called The Lightning Seeds? I do, yes. Yeah, Well, we're going to be talking about seeds as well because there's a seed seed bank in in the Arctic Circle that has had a bit of bother recently. And you may remember at about the same time there was a band called Ocean Colour Scene. I do. And we're going to be talking about oceans and a bit of a scene in the oceans. What with all the plastic, but some crazy-ass idea to clean it all up. So the theme this week is 90s bands.
1: Ah, very good. Right, well, just the usual disclaimer. We do work for environmental charities, but these are very much our own views. So if anything that you hear uh, makes you want to beat us to a pulp... I was going to use that. Oh, well, you can't! Uh, <laughs> don't take it up with anyone that we work for, but just take it up
0: with us. Yes. Yeah. I mean, just just Brit pop us an email and we'll we'll deal with it.
1: Very good. On with it. In half
0: of the week. So. Inhof of the week. This is the section named after a senator in America who is a bogey. Inhof is a bogey because he thinks climate change isn't real because there is still snow, so we named a section of the show after him into which we chuck other bogeys who's been a bogey this week,
1: Dave. Posh person. Oh, good! Yeah. What, how, how me? Uh, no, even posher than you, right? Uh, here's how they can tell they're posher than you, right? This person has got armorial bearings depicting those of her husband marshaled with her paternal poor arms on an escutcheon of pretense. Come again? <laughs> She's got coat of arms. She's got coat of arms. She's oh. so posh. Uh, which is apparently contains an escutcheon of pretense. I don't know what that is. Wow. Yeah. I would
0: like to contain an escutcheon of pretense at some point. I don't know what that means. <laughs> Who is this exceedingly posh person?
1: It is someone called... Now, caveat, before this person readies their lawyers, we're only thinking they're an Inhofe. There is no direct evidence of Inhofery. It is a person yeah, called... Yeah, important point, there. Yes. Lady Victoria Bo- Borwick 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 Borwick
0: Borwick Oh it's probably actually pronounced Buh (laughs)
1: Uh, Yeah, proper Tory lady thing. Um, Also uh, married to a proper uh, Tory baron thing in the House of Lords, who is also the MP, uh, Lady Victoria Borwick, is the MP for Kensington, uh, which is a constituency, yes, in London. I've never heard of her.
0: I assumed that she was, like, a member of the House of Lords or something. No, she's a... Wow. And I now it's all dividends are passed I admit about it was a lorry load of interesting cheeses <laughs> so uh, you, you fail to mention that she is also the president of the British Antiques Dealers Association and I hope that there is a social secretary of the British Antiques Dealers Association because then they would be badass <laughs> More important than their um, their little social functions, though, they have um, obviously represent the interests of antiques dealers, who got all upset when, after the last election in twenty fifteen, the Conservative government went on to fulfil a promise what they made in their manifesto, which is to try to get to press for a ban on the sale of ivory. Yeah, obviously nobody listening to this will need telling that lots and lots, thousands, tens of thousands of elephants and rhinos get slaughtered each year for their tusks and their horns uh, because there is a huge international trade in ivory, Um, sometimes for medicine, sometimes for fake medicine, sometimes for trinkets. Um, all sorts,
1: right? All sorts, really. Go back and listen to episode 52, where we talked about tigers and the trade in tiger bits uh, yeah. and rubbing tiger bits on your ghoulies to give you erections and all that sort okay. of thing. Um, all
0: right.
1: Make sure the tiger is dead first. <laughs> um, yeah, so the, the thing is that the Tories had said in 2015 they were going to uh, ban ivory, and they did it. Well, they they consulted, and they said, right, we're going to ban ivory. But they said, um, when they did it, they said, hmm, we're only going to ban ivory uh if it's been fashioned or made into a thing after the year 1947 why
0: 1947
1: don't know that don't know why 1947 don't know don't know. But basically what had happened was, and this, you know, the, all the documentation talked about this, they were quite open about it. They said, if you go and you ban the trade in ivory full stop in the UK, that means all of them like old pianos made out of ivory and all of those old billiard balls and billiard tables made out of ivory. And did all they of, make billiard balls out of ivory? They did. They, there are billiard balls in, uh, that, that were made out of mammoth tusks that uh, wow. you can still buy. Really? There, are, there are billiard balls in existence made out of mammoth tusks. Oh, I know Did what, you know I'm getting you for Christmas? There are expected, they, they reckon there's 10 million mammoths buried under the earth. Might be 10,000. It's one of those <laughs> two numbers. <laughs>
0: well wow. so okay well billiard balls aside um that seems you know seems like a fairly reasonable argument um, to make why stop people exchanging little bits of ivory that you know were taken from elephants or mammoths or whatever that died years ago um and that will that do anything to stop people don't bring the from elephants back <laughs> elephants now yeah exactly but campaigners have pointed out and this includes um another posh person Hugh Fernley what's his face uh, who made a very good documentary about this that means that people have got a nice little loophole to exploit because if you can just point a bit of ivory that you nipped off the nose of a rhino or ripped out of the cheek of an elephant last week and go oh this no, this is, I know it looks new, good as new, but it's very old. It's actually from 1946, conveniently. And those good people who trade ivory are apparently not above um, lying about when the um, when the animal was shot. So campaigners say this is a massive loophole, makes it very easy. And why not just close the loophole, just ban it totally?
1: Well, I'll tell you why not, because people like Lady Victoria Borwick, president of Bannas, Borwick, Borwick uh, would get the ump about it because it would knacker the trade in a lot of antique. So that's why the Tories didn't do it, right? So, there you are. It has happened. There is going to be a thing. uh, There is going to be a ban in the UK on the sale of ivory from after the year 1947. So why are we talking about this now? Well, because people have got their knickers in a twist, right? So we did last week, episode 81, we talked about all the manifestos and we ran poor Arabella through litanies of Babel where we got her to talk us through the manifestos. Go back and listen, rather good fun. Um, And one of the things we didn't talk about, because we hadn't twigged, because I think a lot of people hadn't twigged, is there was a thing not in the manifesto this time which was... The Conservative Manifesto. Conservative manifesto this time, which was um, ban a total ban on Ivory, which is what they'd said first time. Um, And it's not in there. And people had gone, you bastards, you said you were going to do this. You've only banned some of it. And now you've taken the rest of it out and they've got all upset about it.
0: So is it not legitimate for the Conservatives to say, yeah, we said we were going to ban it in 2015 and have now put legislation, I'm not sure if it has has become law, or it's on its way to becoming law, that is going to bring about a ban. So yeah, we didn't need to say that we'd do that in our next manifesto. Isn't that legitimate?
1: Well, yeah. So what the Conservatives actually said in 2015 was they said they would press for a total ban on Ivory. Um,
0: Press for? Press for. What are they... Pressing themselves, the government?
1: Well, I mean... They or do they mean total? Oh, total, do they mean global? Well, I think that's what they mean. I think I'm going to give them the benefit uh, of the doubt on this one. I think they meant a global ban. Now, they have been doing a lot on that. So, your Minister Therese Coffey, who is a minister in charge of coffee cups, amongst other things. Oh, so good. <laughs> but also in charge of elephants. Um, also in charge of stinky been, air. And that? stinky air. Well, she's been off going around the world, going to places like Vietnam and saying, go on uh, not turn elephants into snooker pools please um, and uh, has been doing loads of stuff and i think so basically the tories are probably turning around and going well we've kind of done it like we've brought in a sort of ban here in the uk and we're still pressing for a total ban internationally leave us alone but people are getting very upset about it and basically people are getting very upset about it because they think for all the reasons what you said only a total ban at home will do and the conservatives are being slippery
0: and they've got a point haven't they i mean all right, fine, there might be some nice little antique shops who see a reduction in their income because you can't trade these little things. But that might mean that a few thousand fewer elephants get mindlessly slaughtered just for the bits of bone growing out of their cheek. These majestic animals, That the more we learn about them, the more we seem to understand they have strikingly human capacities. Well, like irritating you know, Yes, they're irritating, they're venal, they're crass, they're selfish. No, they seem to be able to mourn. There's, there's a suggestion that they, they will mourn their ancestors. They have extraordinary uh, empathetic c- uh, capabilities. That was a long word, two long words. Anyway, the point is these are majestic beasts and lots of, they are, have huge inherent value. Of course they do. So yeah, I think put a few antique shops out of business and in the process save tens of thousands of elephants and rhinos, you know, do it.
1: Uh, It's horrible business, though, i ivory trading. And I was doing some looking into it, um, and my looking into it depressed me, so I stopped looking into it, and then I realised I needed to carry on looking into it because I didn't understand it. So I looked into it some more and got more depressed, right? So 30,000 elephants killed a year, they reckon, around the world, right? That
0: is a lot
1: of elephants. And is
0: this primarily African elephants or Asian elephants part of it as well? Because African elephants are bigger and therefore have bigger tusks, but... Do Asian elephants have tusks? Did you look into this bit? Do Asian elephants have tusks? Well, yeah. Do they have tusks worth, you know, killing them for? Uh,
1: hang on a minute. Here's 50p. Heads. Uh, yes. Yes, oh. they do. I've, I can conclusively reveal. Gosh.
0: Thank you. Well, who needs Google when you've got a, a coin to toss? Uh, OK, so carry on. 30,000, that sounds like a lot. That's yeah, horrible.
1: Uh, that's, that's a lot of elephants. One every 25 minutes, according to the woof, woof, woof. Um, ivory can fetch a huge amount of money. In 2014, um, the average price of ivory tusks is about two and a half thousand dollars per kilogramme. Wow. In the year 2014, wow. right? Um, it's a massive, massive business. And a lot of it is done by, it is reckoned, like armed militias, armed groups, terror groups, basically. In, yeah, it's uh, currency, isn't it's currency, Well, well yeah. it's,
0: funding, it's funding for terror. So if, yeah. you're, if you're a terror group, you need to get your money from somewhere. So you trade in illegal things like drugs or, I suppose, people. I think people trafficking funds a lot of these groups. Um, And what, an ivory is up there? uh,
1: Yeah, uh, uh, it is. And a lot of it makes or made its way, makes its way uh, to Asia, China, Vietnam, places like that, uh, where it gets turned into things and then, you know, may one day try and end up in your house. So there's
0: actually a very, very good humanitarian reason for also ending the ivory trade, as well as an elephantarian reason so if you stop, if, if, if people in, well, wherever, either posh people in England or people in Asian markets stop buying ivory products, they're not only saving elephants, but potentially stopping terrorist organisations getting loads of cash. Good. <coughs>
1: So why doesn't the government want to stop it? (laughs) Well, I don't know. Even bloody China's stopped it. So 70% of the ivory ends up in China. But China is going, by the end of this year, will totally ban it, it reckons, right? And that's had like an instant, instant, instant effect where prices have started to fall. So like by uh, earlier on this year, the price of ivory had dropped in half because wow. because of China basically since going, what since like last year yeah since uh, since a couple of years earlier right. so like that's and they reckon that's down to China going no by the end of this year you're not going to be able to do it anymore and they've been like seizing you know raiding illegal places and seizing their tusks and it's the sort of thing you can do if you are China <laughs> and you can basically go to people what you're doing stop that or you'll go away for a bit or <laughs> we'll <laughs> disappear you <laughs> exactly yeah. Okay. And, and, and also if you don't have people like Lady Victoria Borwick coming over all don't shut down our uh, Melton Mowbray antique shop it will <laughs> cause havoc to the UK economy can I say a thing about antiques does Melton Mowbray antique shop make
0: antique pork pies out of out of ivory
1: 6.2 million <laughs> so that's just over 3 million each
0: Well, we've had worse days.
1: <laughs> Can I say something
0: about antiques? Dave, you may say something about anything you like. You know what I don't care about, Oh, Is it antiques? Yes, <laughs> it is antiques. You know why I don't care about antiques? Uh, because you are devoid of taste and the ability to appreciate finely crafted things from yesteryear.
1: Kind of, yeah. I mean, but basically, I don't have to say that's wrong, but kind of, yeah, it's just old stuff. It's just old stuff that rich people buy, right? And if we decided that old stuff wasn't worth anything, which they have done periodically throughout history, by the way, yeah, um, and just said IKEA is fine instead, and it would be all right to have, like, MDF billiard balls, and you wouldn't need ivory billiard balls, and the elephant would be fine. But because we like old stuff, then we keep our antique shop going, and then Lady Victoria Borwick says we can't have a total ban on ivory, and then elephants get their block knocked off. So I think it's all down to rich people buying tables just because they like tables, just so they can then pass them tables to their kids and then those kids can become rich and then they can send their kids to posh school and they can buy more tables and more elephants can get their blocks knocked off and it's all your fault.
0: And next week in Sustain a Class War uh, we'll be talking about the rights and wrongs of grammar schools. Things
1: that make you go
0: Jesus shitting, oh god So, things that make you go Jesus shitting Christ. Um, Yes, the whole world's falling apart and periodically we have a look at some of the detail of
1: that total ecological collapse. This week, melty things. Melty things. Now then, oh, this is a story about someone who should have known better. Should have? Should have known better. You know who should have known better? No. Norwegians, in particular. (laughs) All of them. All of them. Um, And it's not like there was Norway they could see this coming, right? In particular, uh, a Norwegian whose name is Heger Ninja Askim. you sure? No. you sure that's their (laughs) name? That's their name,
0: letter-wise. Right. (laughs) Yes. And what is Heger Ninja? Uh,
1: not known about, nor been aware of. Oh well, it's this thing. So uh, this noble endeavor happened, right? Fair play to your Norwegians for a noble endeavor. About ten years ago, they opened this thing, which is called, which is like a world seed bank, a global seed bank, right? And they bunged it in a place called Spitsbergen, which is up in the Svalbard Islands, which is in the north of Norway. Um, and it's all cold up there. And they put what they put in this hole in the ground, which they then put a lid on, is like a million <laughs> packets of seeds so scientific <laughs> a million packets of seeds so like they basically took a seed from everything pretty much they like went yeah. around the world and they said give it or you what's that tomato give me some seeds of that you what's that badgers give me a seeds of your badger and i'll, I'll keep it <laughs> right and the idea is that if like we wipe out the badger or the tomato we can grow new ones from seeds because we're keeping the seeds somewhere safe mm-hmm. in a frozen hole in the ground in norway yes So, I mean, I'm not convinced there are badger
0: seeds, but I take your point. Uh, What about if we
1: run out of lightning?
0: Oh, the 90s were good, weren't they? Uh, Yes. So this is a project which is essentially trying to mitigate against total kind of catastrophe so that the few people who survive can have a load of seeds from which they can grow crops and perhaps try to rebuild the human race. Um good what,
1: how you, hang on what you're going to plant human seeds
0: <laughs> no you 're going to have you know Mr. and Mrs. Cockroach and their human keeper who survived <laughs> the nuclear war are going to have a little allotment in a small holding and start growing tomatoes and maybe some little monge too monge mange too and try to grow enough stuff to start breeding and making more humans um all a good idea, who knows whether it would ever be called upon, but one thing that would be excellent was if that seed bank survived, you know, a few more years. Uh, And unfortunately, what with the planet sort of getting hot and particularly the North Pole getting a bit melty, there's been a bit of a doo-doo.
1: Yeah, we talked back in episode... 80, about permafrost.
0: Mm. Do you remember? Perma, I do remember.
1: Permafrost, Perma- which is where all permanent the f- permanent frost. frost, which is where all the lurgies is buried. We talked back then about how it's all full of lurgies and the lurgies are all coming back to life and it's going to like rah and kill us all, right? And so the, the, the permafrost is melting because of. Climate change. climate change and only this thing was only opened uh, 10 years ago up in Spitzbergen uh, nine years ago actually and they didn't foresee the chance that the melting permafrost in which your seed bank is buried might not stay frozen forever and basically the blinking things flooded
0: yeah yeah i mean with some justification they thought permafrost might be permanent but um, yeah apparently not and it, it, such was their confidence that it wasn't even a particularly sort of high tech facility was it it, it wasn't you know was sort of waterproof or anything because you just had a bunch of ice all, over, all around it yes. um, and right. anyway, they, they
1: said it would, have, it would it would provide fail safe protection they said, against, against say natural or man made disasters never say that phrase never guarantee anything if you're talking about the future don't use words
0: like fail safe or guarantee or definitely
1: use might work yeah. <laughs> Not fail safe. Might work. Should be fine. Yeah, probably alright.
0: So what's happened? So they they discovered uh, fairly recently, I think, I think the Guardian broke this story, didn't they? Uh, They went and had a look at the old sea bank and discovered there was a lot of water everywhere where there should be ice or no water. Um, But I think the seas
1: are okay. Yeah, because it's not, yeah, it's just like flooded a bit. But the point is, it's only started flooding Mm. a bit. Go back and listen to episode 66, where we talk to Icy Mark about Arctic ice and learn about how all the ice everywhere is melting. Mm. And very, very
0: bad. And how it's not, no, it's not very, very bad or scary. It's surprising. It's surprising. That's because he's a scientist and he says things like surprising. Talking of words, uh, there has been some comment um, by, and I'd just like you at this point, you to repeat the name of the Norwegian person.
1: Certainly. It is Hege Ninja Aschim. Thank you very much. We're
0: trying to explain uh, how this came to be. And um, well, where's, where's Arabella? Maybe she can explain. It was not in our plans to think that the permafrost would not be there and that it would experience extreme weather like that.
1: Come on, it's not good enough, really, is it? You're building a thing that keeps all the, all the seeds safe, that will keep us alive when the cockroaches have enslaved us and will make us grow new badgers from seeds and put a better lid on it, at least. Like, Yeah, I tend to agree here. If this was
0: conceived of and built in the 1950s, then you know, all right, maybe you know, 60, 70 years later, when it starts to go wrong, you can be forgiven. But this was, as you said, this was only put in nine years ago when we knew a lot about climate change. Nine years ago, we were preparing to go to the Copenhagen summit and try and get all the world's countries to agree to sort out climate change. You knew about this stuff. You could have prepared for it. Um And also that bit of the Arctic... Is like warming incredibly quickly, and, and presumably anyone around there knows it. So, uh, what we're we going to give her? It, it, e, E for effort. C minus must try harder. Thing Dave can't decide if it is good or not. So, new section. Things Dave can't decide if it is good or not. Um, this is a section in which a thing happens in the news and Dave goes, uh, is, mm, good thing or bad thing, good thing or bad thing, which... We're going to use this section quite a lot. Yeah, frankly, is yeah. like everything, isn't it? Because well, the whole point about this podcast is it's complicated. We don't know what to think. The environment is weird. Uh, so what's the thing that's melting your little
1: brain this week, Dave? Well, I don't know what to make of all this, because I can't decide if it's good or not. Right. Right. So there's this dude, he's Dutch, and he's called Bojan Slat, right? Sounds pretty good to me. Which I like already. He is a conservationist and an entrepreneur, and he's about half my age and not far far off that for you. So two out of three. Yes. And what he's done, he's raised 31 million bucks dollars off of um wealthy silicon valley donors to build kilometer long pipes basically what sit on the surface of the ocean booms they sit on the surface Mm. of the ocean and they like collect they hug they collect they hug they collect they hug A broken (laughs) record (laughs) Um, what's the word what is it Plastic! <laughs> plastic! They, they collect... Oh, gosh. ...fattle over everything. Oh, dear. And I've forgotten the word for plastic. And you've gone all lispy. And I've gone all lispy. They get plastic out of the ocean. Take These a things. moment. They get plastic out of the ocean. Okay. They hug the plastic, and they get it out of the ocean. They're a kilometre long, uh, and they'll sit on the ocean, and they'll take all the plastic out of the sea. Problem solved. Bish, bash, bosh. No plastic in the water.
0: So you will know, let's know that there is an awful lot of plastic in the ocean. There was a story last week, I think, about this tiny, tiny island right in the middle of the Pacific, which has got 38 million bits of plastic on it. Is it Shearer's Island? <laughs> it's not Shearer's Island. But well, lovely to see your hair. Look, Just for men, yeah, it's looking more fulsome than usual. I don't advise a haircut, man. All hairdressers are in the employment of the government. Anyway, uh, yes, it was heartbreaking story. Uh, tiny, tiny, uninhabited island, full of plastic. What humans cause, and the reason it's there is because it's in the middle of what used to be known as the Doldrums, um, basically a bit of the ocean where currents. Uh, Sort of circling around, the winds are very low and so stuff
1: collects. A thing. The doldrums is a thing. Yeah, absolutely. So when you're in the doldrums, it's because you're in a part of the ocean where currents are very low and things collect. Yeah, well, where there is no wind, crucially. So it's very,
0: you were sat there for a long, long time. And it was when, in the days when boats were powered by sails, as opposed to stinky engines, um, there weren't much you can do about it. Hmm. Um, anyway, they're now called something else. Uh, and that's something else. Is is gyres or gyres? G-Y-R-E. Anyway, same thing. Doldrums. Gras. And the point is, there are a few areas in the big oceans of the world where an enormous quantity of plastic just collects. And this solution is going right. How do we gather it all up? And it's very simple. You put a little line. You put this boom. And I think they're at sort of right angles, maybe. Um, so it's more of a sort of corner. You put that on the surface. You weigh it down with a big heavy weight, a long way down under the surface, uh, is in water that is moving quite slowly. Whereas the boom on the top and all the plastic on the top is in water, which is moving slightly faster. Right. So the plastic gathers against the edge of the booms. And then you come along with a service ship every now and then, and you gather up the big piles of plastic that's in your boom.
1: Right. So I was right. It's basically cuddling all the plastic and holding it, and then someone comes and takes it away.
0: Yes, but I had read a thing and wanted to bore people with the detail.
1: It's mission achieved.
0: Boom,
1: boom, boom, boom. <laughs> boom. Um, But some people, basically, you remember we were talking uh, back in episode 73 about geoengineering. Yes. That very clever Duncan McLaren, right? He was clever. He was very clever. And we talked there about, like, is it, um, if you're doing a thing, like, you're basically, in this case, spending 31 million quid on fishing the plastic out of the ocean, wouldn't it be better to spend the 31 million quid on not putting plastic into the ocean. Just like with geoengineering, if you're going to spend like a billion pounds putting little reflective mirrors uh, around the earth to reflect the sun's rays away so we don't die, isn't it better to spend that much money not bugging around the planet in the first place? So basically, is like, is this just saying, it's all right, make as much plastic mess as you want, because we've got these cuddly drinking straw things uh, in the doldrums, and we'll fix it?
0: No. Why? Because clearly you need both. So there was some snarky thing on the, I think it was a Times article that was talking about this going, well, you know, if you just stop making plastic, then the plastic that's in the ocean sort of disappears in like 20 to 30 years. So it's fine. Well, 20 to 30 years is a plenty long time for a whale or a dolphin or a fish to eat loads of plastic. Um, and I don't really buy it or just disappear. Do both. Have, it's a bit like climate change, isn't it? The argument isn't should we try to stop climate change or should we prepare for its impacts. It's well, you do both. You wouldn't go, you wouldn't look around a local park that's covered in litter and go, well, should we clear up that litter or should we just ensure that we don't put
1: any more litter there? Yeah, you do both. Very good. Oh, I have decided that it is a good thing to uh, cuddle the plastic. Oh, I like that. So is this how every every
0: week this feature will end with you making a decision?
1: Uh, Yes. Only if you actually say something useful, though. So let's not get our hopes up. Right. eh? I did like this bit though, it was um, describing, the the Times article was describing about Mr. Slat, and it mentioned in passing uh, that when he was 12 years old, 12 years (laughs) old, he set a, 12, he set a, 12, a Guinness World Record for the most water rockets launched simultaneously.
0: Oh, he sounds like a nob.
1: Nob! He sounds like a precocious and very moneyed nob. See, this is why I started. It's when I got to that bit in the story that I started to think maybe this isn't a good idea anymore. Because he seems like the sort of person that would buy an antique just because it's old. (laughs) It's nothing nothing to do with the value
0: of his idea. It's because he sounds like a (laughs) nob. So, that is just about it for another episode of Babble number 82 in the can. Thank you very, very much, Dave, for... Is that ivory around your
1: glasses? Are
0: you wearing horn-rimmed glasses?
1: That's right, and um, I have tiger bits nestled against my testicles. Hmm, I well, thought there was a, a twinkle
0: in your eye. Thank you, as ever, for being magnificent. Thank you very much to, to the equally magnificent Dickie Moore for his music that starts, ends, and intertwinkles this year
1: podcast. And thank you, Arabella, for pointing out to us the thing what the Norwegians should have known better in the first place. If you would like to get in touch with us, you can do so via the usual ways. You can drop us an email to hello at sustainababble.fish, you can tweet at us at The Babble Wagon, or you can find us on Facebook, just search Sustainababble. And however you consume this podcast, when you've finished, belch a five-star review all over iTunes or whatever other medium it is serving to you upon because it all helps yes Yes. it does thank you very
0: much for that delightful image alright that's just about it try not to shoot a massive bull elephant in the face or rip the horn from a very endangered rhino and we will uh, see you next week okie dokie bye bye